You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I am, I feel like I'm not even a real football fan because I'm sitting here trying to enjoy the offseason, which I know sounds like such a weird thing, but I'm like going on YouTube. I get all excited. I'm going and looking on, I've got my list of websites and everything. And I'm like, let's dig into the news. What are people talking about? And all everybody wants to talk about is this stupid Super Bowl. I don't care. I can't wait for this stupid thing to be over. I don't care. I'm a Packer fan, man. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I go back and forth because sometimes it's like, you know, I'm an NFL fan. I do enjoy some of the things, and I like looking at other teams and how they do things. But, again, that's more of an off season like, what would they do in the draft, and how do you rebuild this thing? And um, I just I don't care about these two teams playing a football game. I don't. You know, I'm slightly interested in the commercials. Um, they've been pretty bad for a while, but I feel like last year or the year before, they kind of, every once in a while, there's a couple that are like, eh, that's pretty good. But usually they're stupid. Plus, don't they like start leaking out early now, which isn't great. So it's by the time the Super Bowl comes, it's like I've already seen that. Um, halftime show will be interesting. Sometimes it's decent. Sometimes it's just like, what in the world is going on? Um, but it's always like a big event and it's interesting because it's an event, but I just, I don't care about Eagles chiefs, dude. I just, I, I, I'm excited for it to be done so we can officially move on and we can really get into like the, the meat of things. Plus I don't, when did, did Rogers say when he's doing his four day thing? I just assumed it was happening soon because it sounds like when he emerges, he'll have clarity on what he wants to do. And I'm assuming maybe by this upcoming Tuesday with the Pat McAfee show, that'll be it. But now that I'm sitting here talking about it, it's like, well, maybe, maybe he's planned that from like a month from now. I don't know. I'm not sure when he's doing that. Um. Anyways, we'll talk about that a little bit more. I kind of already touched on it yesterday, but I wanted to talk about it today. So I'm going to be talking about it, I guess, twice because it is what it is. But I uh, wanted to touch on some NFL news that's been going on. A.J. Green did officially announce his retirement, which unfortunately is one of those things where I heard that and was like, oh, yeah, I forgot he was in the league, which is an unfortunate thing because you forget how dominant A.J. Green was for such a long time. You know, I don't know if he was ever like the number one, but he was certainly up there if he wasn't. And it's not great to be in that position where it's like, dude, you should have retired like five years ago. But congratulations. I'm happy for you. Um, big news that Flores is going to the Vikings. Everybody's making a big deal about it, about how immediately dominant Flores is. And he's going to be great, which is hilarious because this is like before, it was Jim Leonard. Like, don't let him go there. It's going to be the greatest hire in the world. And then they didn't get Jim Leonard. And then it was uh, Evero. So, oh, if they get Evero, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And they didn't get Evero. And now they get Flores, and it's like, oh, I can't believe they got him. Like, it just it didn't matter who they hired, did it? <laughs> it's just going to be no matter if Fangio doesn't matter. It's going to be the greatest thing ever, huh? But interestingly enough, I actually think as weird as it sounds, this is his first time ever being a defensive coordinator. He was a special teams assistant 
for the Patriots, before becoming the special teams coach, before becoming the defensive assistant, before becoming the safeties coach, then linebackers coach, and then he immediately jumped to head coach. Then he went to Pittsburgh and was the senior defensive assistant and linebackers coach and is now the defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I know many of those titles are probably somewhat synonymous with defensive coordinator, but it is a little bit funny, isn't it? He's considered one of the more prominent defensive minds in the NFL. He's never been a defensive coordinator before. He's been a head coach, but he's never been a defensive coordinator. Senior defensive assistant. But it's kind of funny because the first thing I wanted to do was go back and say, well, how good are Brian Flores' defenses when he was the defensive coordinator? And I can't find anything. I can't go back and look at the Patriots because he was the linebackers coach. And I guess I could look at Miami, but he was the head coach, which isn't nothing, but it's still different, which isn't meant to be negative. I mean, if, if he was a if he was able to bring in a solid defense as the head coach, if he's strictly just the defensive coordinator, there's every reason to believe it's going to be a great hire. I just think it's funny. But it does appear that he did a decent enough job. Um, his first year as head coach, the Miami defense was at rock bottom. So they actually went backwards and got worse his first year. But then they started to move forward. So they were kind of ranking in the 20s, between 20 and 28 for the last four years. Flores got in there and they were dead last. And then in year two, though, they went up to 11th. And then in year uh, three, they were 10th, which is good. Not elite, but good. Uh, the best year, uh, looking at DVOA, not rank would be negative 3.3, which is 3.3% better than your average defense, which is to say pretty average, but slightly above, which 10th kind of makes sense. But again, there's just not a whole lot to go on other than people within the league saying he's a great defensive mind. So there you go. So I can't really throw my weight either way behind my opinion on how good or bad they're going to be because I have nothing to go on. Anyways, in addition to that, the Carolina Panthers have hired Jiro Evero. Um, the biggest reason I bring that up is this is why, you know, a week or two ago when I said that I kind of talked about the prior timeline and when everybody else in years past when the Packers had fired people and moved on, it was by this or that date. This is why it was relevant because at this point, all the guys are getting hired. And if you intend to move on, it needed to have been done. So all that to say, as everybody probably has already figured out by now, we're not moving on. The guys that we have are staying. So it is what it is. I'm, I'm personally torn on a lot of these things, but I'm willing to defer that um, although we've seen coaches many times, including Matt LaFleur, make the wrong decision to stick with people. So I'm not saying he would know necessarily, but when I'm kind of torn 50-50, I'll kind of throw it that way that that little piece that I can't see, he can see. So, for example, again, with the Joe Barry thing, I'm not in any way impressed with the Joe Barry defenses over the last several years. However, we did see major strides and we started to see the defense that we all wanted. And so the question simply becomes, are we believing that they got it figured out and we're ready to rock and roll now? Um... Or was that just a complete fluke because we're talking about a four or five game stretch? Um, and so that's where I kind of fall on, you know what, let's just say that they figured it out. They got it ready to rock and roll. We're going to get Rashawn back. We're going to add him a couple more pieces. We're going to have some guys taking those second year, third year, fourth year, whatever leaps. And we'll get this defense rocking and rolling. 
And at the end of the day, what other choice do I have but to believe that? The only other option is to assume that that's not what the Green Bay Packers think, and Matt LaFleur doesn't believe that, and uh, is just completely incompetent and wants a mediocre defense because Joe's his buddy. So, I don't know. You you get to decide. On the uh, note of hirings and coaches and whatnot, there are some rumors that the Green Bay Packers are expected to hire Greg Williams. And I got to be honest, I was pretty shocked at first because I thought we were talking about the Bounty Gate guy because he is a defensive coordinator slash cornerbacks coach. And I was like, holy crap, dude, that guy's a psychopath. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, he's going to be really good, got a lot of experience, but I cannot believe the Packers are going to hire that guy. The guy that paid players to go out and injure Brett Favre is now going to be in the Green Bay Packers building. That's hard to believe, but it's not that guy who, believe it or not, is still out there working, defensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's out in one of those fake leagues now, not the NFL, but whatever. But anyways, the real Greg Williams that we're hiring is the cornerbacks coach for the Arizona Cardinals. But uh, former player turned coach, went through the college ranks at Arizona State, went to DuPage, Arkansas Tech, and then University of Pittsburgh as a graduate assistant. Says, while coaching with San Diego, Williams helped safety Eric Weddle get selected to two Pro Bowls in 2013 and 14, and the Chargers ranked fourth in the league in pass defense in 2014. And then prior to joining the Broncos, Williams spent two seasons, 2016 and 17, as the defensive backs coach with the Colts after seven seasons with the Chargers as assistant linebackers coach in 2009 through 12 and assistant secondary coach 2013 through 15. During his two seasons with Indy, uh, the Colts defensive backs accounted for 19 interceptions and 102 passes defensed, despite having 16 different players start at least one game. In his first season with the Cardinals in 2019, Williams mentored Murphy, uh, who started all 16 games and was among the rookie leaders in snaps played and passes defensed. With uh, Denver in 2018, Williams helped the Broncos tie for fifth in the NFL in interceptions with 17. And cornerback Chris Harris was selected to his fourth Pro Bowl after recording three interceptions and a sack. In 2020, the Cardinals finished with the NFL's 10th ranked pass defense as cornerbacks Patrick Peterson and Drake Kirkpatrick combined for six interceptions. Peterson's three interceptions that season marked the highest total since 2013, while Kirkpatrick's three interceptions tied a career high and surpassed his interception total from his previous three seasons combined. Second-year cornerback Byron Murphy Jr. tied Peterson for the team high with eight passes defense while adding his first two career sacks and first two fumble recoveries. Last year, Arizona's defense ranked in the top 10 in offensive points allowed, eighth, takeaways, seventh, fumble recoveries, number one, and rushing touchdowns allowed, number three. Greg Williams is in was in, I guess, his fourth season as a cornerback coach after joining the Cardinals in 2019. I will say this. If we're going to use PFF as a reference, um, this one's a little rough for me. Greg Williams joined the Arizona Cardinals in 2019. Do you know the last time the Cardinals have had a single corner that's graded out as good? 2018. Patrick Peterson in 2018 had an 82.5 grade and 83.7 coverage grade. In 2019, the highest graded corner on the defense was Patrick Peterson. He dropped down to a 68.6 grade. 2020, highest graded corner was Jonathan Joseph with a 65.4. Patrick Peterson plummeted down to a 55. Byron Murphy, who I believe is a rookie, had a 64 grade. 
Dre Kirkpatrick had a 49.0 grade. In 2021, highest graded corner out of seven that played, Robert Alford, 66.9. You had Byron Murphy, who was their number one corner at the time, had a 58.5 grade. Marco Wilson, who was their other corner, 48.6. And then in 2022, the highest graded corner was Antonio Hamilton, who was not their number one corner, but he is 68.5 grade. Um, Their top three corners, they had Isaiah Simmons, who was formerly a linebacker, but they listed him as a corner, I guess, this year, 67.9 grade. Then Marco Wilson with a 55, and then Byron Murphy with a 66.7 grade followed by Antonio Hamilton with his 68.5. So 68.5 is roughly the best performance via PFF from a corner from the Arizona Cardinals in the last four years, 19, 20, 21, and 22. So, I mean, the, the uh, you can look at it and say the interceptions are up, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to bother looking because I don't really care. There's also a lot of touchdowns given up. Isaiah Simmons did have two interceptions, but he gave up three touchdowns. Marco Wilson had three picks, but he gave up four touchdowns. Byron Murphy, zero interceptions and gave up four touchdowns. Um, Go back to 2021, uh, Robert Alford had a pick and he gave up five touchdowns. So, you know, we can throw around stats, but... um, And we could say it's the quality of the players, I guess. But again, the, the really difficult part for me... And maybe Patrick Peterson just, you know, he just reached that point in his career where he was done. But um, the funny part about it, he had a 78th grade in Minnesota this past year. So he he had an 82.5 prior to uh, Greg Williams showing up. Then he went down to a 68 and then a 55, which is the lowest grade he's had since his rookie year in 2011. Then he goes to Minnesota, goes back up to a 63, and then in his second year in Minnesota, he has a 78 grade. And and Patrick Peterson has been like 70s and 80s almost every year of his career. 79, 78, and then he had a bad year in 2014. Then 83, and then 80, and then 70, and then 82. And then Greg Williams shows up, and he drops down to 68, and then 55. I, I You know, I mean, he was injured in 2019 for part of the season, but... The next year he came back, he was not injured, and yet, again, that was the worst year of his career. So, um, I don't know, man. I mean, it's whatever. I don't see a ton to look at that gets me super jacked up, but, um, again, I am all about bringing in new guys and new attitudes, and I'm sure that's a big part of it, and if he can just come in with that attitude as a former player just to Kind of, I mean, listen, it's a Joe Barry defense. The, the corners are going to go where Joe Barry says, and they're going to do what Joe Barry says. The question is, can Greg Williams, as a former player, kind of get them in the right mindset and get them to see things the right way and all that kind of stuff? Because for all I know, it wasn't really Greg Williams' fault. It was whoever the defensive coordinator's fault was. I don't know. But, you know, we'll, we'll give him the opportunity. Not that we have a choice. But I really am just all about getting some new new people and new mentalities, new thought processes, new ways to get corners to kind of see things and view things. So I'm, 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 I'm excited about it, not because I think he's a great cornerback coach, but because he's a former player and maybe he can kind of get these guys in the right headspace. Anyways, I, I kind of already talked about it, but um, 
just want to touch very briefly on this whole four day without light thing. I mentioned yesterday um, on Packernet After Dark or whatever day it was, I don't know, that, I mean, I, the hard part is who gets to decide where you draw the line between weird, right? I've, I've openly criticized Rogers about some of the goofy stuff that he does and that he believes. Um, I, I, I think on one hand, you can probably draw a line on things that are officially false. But I, you know, I don't know, because I guess the bottom line is probably just leave the freaking guy alone. You know, I mean, it's kind of like I was talking about with the whole, um, what's it called? Cultural appropriation thing. If nobody's hurting you, leave him alone. It's amazing to me. I hate to be a freaking hippie about it, but just how judgmental everybody is about everything. And I know I can be that way, too. But it's one thing to kind of do things like in fun kind of picking on, teasing on, locker room, joking around, he's a weirdo, he's this, he's that, goofball stuff. I I don't know, I I just feel like at this point, we're kind of waiting for Aaron Rodgers to say anything so we could jump on him, rather than actually evaluating the thing that was said. I don't understand why this would be a bad thing. The, The thing that I find the most ironic is that he's being attacked mostly from people who can't spend five minutes without checking their Twitter feed. It's people that really probably need this that seem the most upset about it. I've already said, I don't think I can do it, which the problem is, that's a problem with me. And forget the light thing. It's, it's can you just go four days, no TV, no cell phone, no contact with friends, family, whatever, just silence. Can you just sit? Can you just sit for four days or walk around or whatever you got to do, but no stimulation, no dopamine drips from likes on your stupid tweets. Can you do it? And if not, that's kind of a problem, don't you think? I mean, just just him bringing it up caused some introspection for me to kind of say, I, dude, I, I don't think, I, for, again, leave the lights on. Can you even do that? I'm not going to say like for a million dollars. Yeah, because of course you can do it for a million dollars. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about, can you just do it like right now? Just do it. Because if you can't, that's a problem. Can you go four days? Forget four days. Let's say there's a holiday weekend coming up and you got three days off. So you're not going to work. So you can't use that as an excuse. Can you stay in your house? No TV, no internet. You can't even read books. Can you physically do it? I didn't say, do you want to do it? I said, can you do it? Because if you can't, I think that's a problem. And for all the weird, goofy, hippy-dippy stuff Rogers does that I think is kind of nonsense, again, astrology being near the top of that list, like stars have anything to do with anything, and trusting in um, things that happen when your mind is under the influence of drugs is also probably not the most rational thing that you can do. Not to say that it couldn't make you a better person or help you through some stuff. I know Clayton just posted something in the Discord with, that was on Pat McAfee about... uh, a veteran who was healed with or PTSD or whatever. I mean, that's that's great if it can do that. I know people in Silicon Valley are making billions of dollars tripping on balls on microdosing or whatever. There's a, I, I don't know anything about it. You go ahead and do what makes you happy. I'm just saying if 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 a demon visits you on a on a ayahuasca trip and is like, hey, invest in uh, Monster Energy drinks. I don't. I mean, I don't know that that would be a rational investment. Like invest all of your money in it because it's going to go through the roof because they're going to come up with something crazy. It's going to be awesome. Not so sure that you actually saw the future from a demon. I I think you're just tripping balls. You know what I mean? Which is fine, but don't, don't do it. Don't empty your 
your investments or whatever. But this, and, and the other cool thing about it is when you have the amount of money that he has, the temptation to, to simply feed your gut, you know what I mean? To, to just seek out your desires at every turn because you can have anything and anyone that you want. And for him to be in the position that he's in, where he could just hop on a jet and fly somewhere, he could pack that jet with 50 young single women and a pound of cocaine and whatever kind of drugs he wants and alcohol and just do all kinds of stupid stuff and just ruin his life and his body and his mind and everything else, he's going to leave everything and everyone and put his mind and body and everything else into submission. I think that's impressive. So, um, again, he's a, he's a weird dude. There's no doubt about it. But this is just a weird area to kind of put your foot down and say, what a freak. Coming from people that physically can't do it. Come on now. It's like going to the gym and watching a guy squat 500 pounds and calling him a sissy. <laughs> Look at this weird. Why would you do that? Bro, you can't squat your fat butt out of the couch. Okay? So let's not make fun of... Uh, Hop Thor Bjornsson and how he chooses to live his life. Again, I can't sit here and tell you where to draw lines between what's super weird and what's not. I just am telling you that I find it weird that people who physically can't do it and probably should consider that reality, I find it weird that they're trying to take the high ground and pretend that they're superior to Aaron Rodgers because they can't do it and won't do it. And I'm sure everybody would love to rush on Twitter and whatnot and say, I could do it, I just don't feel like it because I'm not a freak. Okay, fine, whatever. But again, I don't know, man. Think about it. Something to think about. I'll end with this. I just saw this, and I think this is perfect. Matt Ramage says, people talk about how important mental health is, but make fun of Aaron Rodgers for taking care of his. And I think that's such a great point, because it really is disturbing how much people like to throw these terms around, but they don't actually believe in it. They really don't. I mean, that's that's becoming, it's it's a cheap way to get clicks and likes. And you know why? Because you want that dopamine hit from a like. Because you can't live without Twitter. It has nothing to do with you actually caring about people's mental health. If you cared about people's mental health, you would never rush to Twitter and try to make people feel bad about what they're doing. If that was your mission. And it's not. All this stuff is so fake, and that's what I hate about it. Everything about mental health and tolerance and acceptance and openness, it's so, it's all fake. And you know how you know? Because you can go on Twitter and you look at the comment section. You look at all these people who claim to be those types of people. And you just look at their comments. Look at the things that they say to people and how they treat people and how condescending they are 24 hours a day. They don't care. They don't care about any of that stuff. You think it's weird and you don't want to do it, fine. But why are you trying to tear him down for it publicly? And again, this is where people just take it too far. And it's such a weird position for me to be in because I'm... I'm all in on the, like, we need to move on, and then I say these things, and I got people coming over and like, yeah, that's a great take, and they're praising me, and they love, and then I'll, I'll say something like this, and they come around, they're like, you're a freaking idiot, you're a more it's like, I thought we were friends, dude, <laughs> like, I don't understand what's going on, I just, I don't know, it just gets to be exhausting sometimes, but I think it'll be good, I, I, I genuinely think it'll be good for him to kind of clear his head, get away from all the noise, get away, because can you imagine how much, there's too much noise for me, I've taken breaks occasionally here and there, I know other people have taken breaks, they're going to leave their account for a while, and then they come back after a week or a month or whatever, um, just because you need a break, can you imagine being Aaron Rodgers, 
it's not just like, I mean, you, you occasionally I'll say something on Twitter and it blows up and people get angry and it's like you're dealing with constant retweets about how much you're an idiot and the comments about how stupid you are and everything else. And it gets to be a little bit annoying and whatever, but could you imagine if that was like everything you did? And it wasn't just like 15 comments. It was like 15,000 comments or, or 150,000 comments and you're on every single channel and you're on every single YouTube channel and you're on all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and people are mocking you and make fun of you and you can't walk down the street with everybody everybody knowing you. For crying out loud, the guy wants to go be alone in a room for a while. No freaking kidding he does. Jeez. Anyways, that's all I had to say. Why don't we take a break here? Uh, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so for as little as a dollar a month it would be so very greatly appreciated uh patriot i already said that fertile ground ranch discipleship ministry uh you can find them at fertilegroundranch.org and we'll take a break we'll be right back in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value jordan love card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I wanted to bring this up because I talked about it recently, and it almost sounds like I just completely ripped them off. Somebody probably read this article and was like, you just ripped them off. Uh, I just saw this. I probably commented on it or, or uh, talked about this shortly after the article came out. But this is from 538. This is a... Uh, they do politics and sports and stuff. Mostly po- They're mostly known for politics, but they're a, a data-driven website. So they wrote an article, How the Eagles Built a Winner by Overdrafting Quarterbacks. I know we already had this conversation, but since I got some data to back me up, why don't we go ahead and readdress this real quick? Again, I had some pushback on this about how, oh, no, that doesn't count. That's not the same thing. For, for those that didn't know, maybe you're new here, I had talked about how we, we tend to forget that the Jordan Love situation is very similar to the Jalen Hurts situation in that this was a team, the Philadelphia Eagles, that had just extended... Carson Wentz, who is a very talented quarterback that they like very much, coming just a few years off of them winning a Super Bowl, and in the second round ended up drafting Jalen Hurts and everybody lost their mind. 
The article starts, according to most of the football world, Jalen Hurts should not be a Philadelphia Eagle. Even Hurts was incredulous at the beginning when his phone rang on draft day and the area code was 215, a Pennsylvania number. At first, Hurts thought it was the Steelers calling. Instead, it was the Eagles general manager, Howie Roseman, telling Hurts they were selecting him with the 53rd pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Quote, I had no idea I would come here, Hurts said, of the new heights with Jason and Travis Kelsey. Hertz wasn't alone. Philadelphia fans, folks not known to be particularly temperate in expressing their emotions, even at the best of times, were apoplectic. And they were so kind as to provide this video for us so we get to listen, just again, to hammer home this point. Here is the pick coming in and a Philadelphia streamer learning what the pick is. What the f***? Jalen Hurts? He just threw his chair in his beanbag. So that was, that was hardcore. He walked off his stream after throwing his chair. This is a joke, right? This is, this is a joke, right? This is a joke. What? Christian, what is this? What? What is this? This is a fucking joke. What in the fuck is this? There, there's no explanation. You have a hundred million. Like, what in the fuck is this? This is the worst pick in Eagles history. The worst pick in Philadelphia Eagle history. You don't have a corner. You still don't have Christian Fulton still there. You don't have a corner. You got a guy that can't fucking pass the ball more than 40 yards. This is, I've never experienced this on draft day. This is the worst draft they've ever had. This is the worst draft the Philadelphia Eagles ever. They got a new guy that run the board. This is the worst I've ever seen. There's corners on the board. Denzel Mims is still there. And you get a backup quarterback that is the most overrated quarterback in this draft. He's Dak Prescott, except worse. There is no defending this. There is no defending this. This is the worst pick the Eagles have ever made. I will do this job for free. You don't have to pay me a damn cent. I will work 12-hour days to be your general manager. Just for reference, there were there were 30-second to probably two-minute-long pauses in between a lot of this I had to cut out. He just was completely speechless. So again, just to hammer home the point, to be very clear, very, very clear parallels between this and the Packers picking Jordan Love. You could replace Eagles with Packers and Jalen Hurts with, with Jordan Love. And I promise you, Packers people, if they had their own stream or if you had a camera on them during this draft, would have been saying the exact same thing. This is the worst pick they've ever made. This is horrible. This is awful, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to be honest, just because I'm having fun with this and I really don't like all the people who pretend that they know stuff um, and because of the parallels, we're going to continue this just a little bit longer. Ready? Come on. Come on. With the 53rd pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select Jalen Hurts, quarterback. What the f***? What the f***? What the f***? What? What the f***? Are you kidding me? Say what?
<laughs> if we trade it up for love, I'm gonna be so mad. I can't even get out of here. Oh, that would God, be the they're not dumbest. Because the Packers traded up. Stop it. They're not trading up for love. They're they're trading up ahead of the Ravens to get Murray or to get uh Queen. They better be. Packers are on the clock. They traded up. Packers are on the clock. Packers are on the clock. They're gonna best part. Holy crap! They're gonna make their pick in the first round and not disappoint us. Oh my god! I'm so nervous that they might do something <laughs> dumb. This pick is like is Christmas. In. Pick is in. Pick is in. Come on! All right. It's in already. Oh man! Goody don't waste time. Come on! Give it to us. They're taking Queen. They're taking Queen. They gotta take Queen. Here we go. Here right. we go. I'm watching Pat McAfee and AJ Hawk. What do we got? Come on, Browner. Just give me Queen. Just give me Queen. Love. They took the quarterback. Okay, this is- You're they took kidding. Jordan Love. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> what the hell? What the crap? <sighs> Why? 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 So, uh, parallels. Continuing on with the article. NFL Talking Heads said the pick didn't make sense, that Hertz couldn't help enough immediately to justify his second-round selection, that owner Jeffrey Lurie should fire everyone if the Eagles moved on from the 2019 starter Carson Wentz. Even sharp young analysts with an analytical bent declared it extremely unlikely that Hertz would ever deliver value to the Eagles. It seemed as if the entire football world was convinced Roseman had bungled things badly. Perhaps the world can be forgiven for not imagining a future where Wentz would lose his job or that two short years later, Hertz would lead the Eagles to the NFC Championship game. After all, Wentz was coming off a solid year in 2019 and had led the team to the wild card while staying healthy. Perhaps more importantly, he just signed a $128 million extension the previous June. Most viewed Hertz as either an expensive insurance policy taken out against another Wentz injury or an upscale version of the New Orleans Saints do-everything gadget player Taysom Hill. We covered a lot of this already. Here's where it gets important. Did the Eagles see the implosion coming when no one else did? Probably not. In his news news conference after the Hurts pick, Roseman said that having a strong quarterback room was the bedrock of the team's philosophy. When Roseman said, quote, our priorities are that dot 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 quarterback position, he was expressing the attitude that having uh, multiple quarterbacks was simply sound team building, not that Wentz's downfall was assumed to be imminent. This is actually very similar to what Brian Gutekunst has talked about. It is the most important position on a football team. If we see a high-quality quarterback available, we're going to draft him. Goes on to say we should probably take him at his word. Just look at how Roseman has allocated draft capital since he reclaimed personal pow- uh, personnel power over the Eagles in December 2015. If we include trades involving first-round picks, the Eagles have spent more draft capital, as defined by net expected future value of each pick of the future net, blah, 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 on quarterbacks than any other position besides wide receivers, and they've used three times as many picks on receivers. They have a little chart here that shows position, how many picks, and the total draft capital. It says, in fact, the Eagles' allocation of draft capital has been nearly identical to what the analytics say about positional value, which is an interesting concept. If you think about it in terms of what are the most important positions, and then and that's on one column, and on the other column, how much, how many resources have you allocated to that position? What would it look like? 
And if your team has allocated the least amount of resources to the most important positions, the number one being quarterback, why would you expect there to be any amount of success? Now, I understand the Packers have Aaron Rodgers, and obviously we've paid him a massive contract, and you can see that as value assets being given to the quarterback. But again, the idea that expending resources at the most important position when there is even the slightest bit of question at the position, which, by the way, has zero depth, which is natural in the NFL. But let's be very clear about that. He's old. He's declining. He's angry. We have no depth. We have no plan B. And it's the most important position in football. The idea that expending capital on that position is a bad idea is weird. It continues, uh, when Wentz went all pear-shaped in 2020, that approach helped save the team. It certainly wasn't Roseman's ability to pick the right players. Every team misses on picks, and the Eagles are no exception. Roseman spent a first, fourth, and sixth round pick to move up three spots and draft Andre Dillard at 22 in 2019. Dillard is a first-round bust who still hasn't played more than 35% of the team's offensive snaps. Second-round cornerback Sidney Jones was waived after just three seasons. And, And most egregiously, Roseman missed out on perhaps the best receiver in the league in 2020. He bet and lost on wide receiver Jalen Rager in the same draft that he took Hurts, picking Rager one spot ahead of future Minnesota superstar Justin Jefferson. Rager was eventually traded to the Vikings this past August, blah, blah, blah. Yet despite all the team's failures... The power of allocating draft capital to the high-value positions is that it gives a franchise the cushion to absorb the calamity of misses. It can even help a team survive the chaos of firing the only Super Bowl-winning head coach in franchise history. Spending premium draft capital selecting extra quarterbacks is an expensive insurance policy, but it's insurance that should become table stakes across the league. It's so obviously advantageous to have a better than average plan B for your starting quarterback as both the Eagles and 49ers have shown that other teams can't help but take note. And it's why it shouldn't be shocking if the Eagles use a high pick on yet another quarterback this offseason. Injury or ineffectiveness lurks around every corner every year and preparing for the worst is the most important thing a GM can do. So Hertz's rise to uh, proves that another famous Philadelphian, Ben Franklin, had it backwards. When it comes to quarterbacks, if you're not planning to fail, you're failing to plan. But I thought generally that concept made the most sense. And, it, and, it, and it's not just about quarterback, and it's not necessarily just about Jordan Love, although I do think it really hammers home that point. But it also brings us back to the discussion about, for example, the annoyance everybody has that the Packers invest in what? Corners, edge rushers, defensive tackles. Um, Have we invested in an offensive line early? I don't know. But the point is they tend to invest in the more premium positions and do not look at things like tight ends and running backs and even wide receivers, which have now essentially become a premium position. Um, But the, the point is they... They haven't been doing that, and so it's sort of a a source of annoyance, right? They should draft a tight end, but they probably won't. They should draft B. John Robinson, but they probably won't. And I'm not even necessarily saying that they shouldn't, but if you think about it from that philosophy, the idea that we should, if you allocate the most resources to the most important positions, it helps you absorb the losses. When you miss the fact that you're going to dedicate the most resources to the most premium positions means you're probably going to get the most value, even with misses factored in, in the most premium positions. We might miss on some stuff, but we're going to have the most important things taken care of. It's an important thing. And so investing early in offensive line and defensive line, corners and wide receivers and quarterbacks does make a lot of sense. So anyways, I thought that was a really interesting article. And, um, I would actually really like to see somebody do something similar, 
um, with the Green Bay Packers to see where the uh, allocation of draft capital has gone. It says here they got the information from Pro Football Reference. So if you want to go dig around and see if you can find it, that'd be kind of cool. Anyways, final thing I wanted to bring up. I feel like I've been talking about for four hours, but apparently it's going to be a short episode. Uh, Jake Hayner takes home Senior Bowl MVP honors. The only reason I want to bring it up is because when I was working on my big board, there's this one guy who's great. I just can't get down. He's the top graded quarterback that I have on my entire board. Guy I've never heard of before. Kind of similar last year to Zach Tom, where it's just he's at the top of every list. He's at the top of my big board. He's at the top of SIS everything. Packers draft him. He ends up being a stud. And I'm looking at it, and it's like I feel embarrassed because this Jake Hayner guy is at the top of my board ahead of C.J. Stroud, even factoring in trying to lower his grade because he went to a smaller school, and, and I massively lowered his grade because of where he ranks on the big board. All that's factored in. He's still by far the number one quarterback on the board. And so now Jake Hayner goes to the Senior Bowl, and he wins MVP honors there. So just a guy to keep an eye on if you're interested in looking into somebody. I know you probably don't want a quarterback, but it's something that if Aaron Rodgers does leave and maybe we're looking for that number two, sort of a de- developmental guy or something, if you are a patron, you can head over to um, the big board. I posted a link, or it's not a big board, but I posted a link. It's got all my notes and everything, and there's some couple notes on Jay Kaner, a couple links and whatnot. Um, but there's some talk that he is going to be the 2023 Brock Purdy, which means he's going to be a late-round guy that's going to come in and just be a capable player. Well, I'll read it for you. 2023 Brock Purdy. It says, if there's to be a Brock Purdy in this year's draft class, my money is on Jake Hayner. Though he might not have identical physical traits, which I heard him on draft weekend, Hayner has the field vision, the natural accuracy uh, to consistently throw receivers open. He won't wilt against pressure and has the competitive makeup that will endear him to NFL coaches. At worst, he can be a resourceful backup in the Taylor Heineke mold. That was Dane Brugler that said that. I tell you what, you watch some Jake Hayner stuff, man. He's He's got some crazy accuracy. But I'm going to leave you guys at that. You have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.